This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, we're back to the Outdoor Drive podcast. It's your boy Trev and Steven. Oh, man, it is nice to be back. And I say this all the time. I know I do. I always say this. It's nice to be back on the microphone. <laughs> but it really is, man. Things have been just absolutely hectic on both ends here. And it's, well, more or less my end. But Yeah, I was going to um, say, do you have your land legs back? Yeah, not not really, man. It's it, You know, I think the problem with being on land for myself is that I spend too much goddamn money when I'm on land this time of year. <laughs> well, um, you got to spend all the money on land to keep you out in sea. Oh, dude, it's crazy. Every time I end up on land, for some reason, nothing good happens when I'm on land this time of year. So, <laughs> oh. But I haven't spent too much time on land. I know last week you had had the podcast with Bryce, um, which went very well. Um, well done on that one, man. Yeah, thanks. And, it was a shot in the dark, but we yeah. got through. <laughs> well, it is what it is, man. It's it's nice to have a teammate that's uh, that works hard as as uh as we both should you know <laughs> well <laughs> I, I hold down the fort you guys have been out there slaying some uh, absolute monsters at the mouth so yeah dude and and it's just been it's been an insane i mean as far as work goes i mean we're back to work work full swing here uh half capacity uh, on the party boats and then six packs on the six packer and it it's just kept me so darn busy i mean things have just been out of control uh, a lot of trips, doubles, triples. Um, some days I start at five in the morning and I'm not home until almost midnight. So it's and then back up and doing it again the next day. So it's been kind of crazy and hectic. And then, of course, you know, with the spare time, of course, I got to get out on the boat and do it myself. So, yeah, um, seems like every time I catch up with you, you're going, we just got done with the trip. I'm going to take a snooze in the car and then uh, we're going to take our boat out. We're going to go get ours. It's like, All right. <laughs> I got you. I feel you. Yeah, it's because uh, right now, I mean, we have all the fallbacks that are coming out of the rivers on the herring run. And they're dropping back on the rivers and headed out to the sound. So we've been fishing a lot of the uh, a lot of the rivers and uh, and really finding some really good quality fish. I mean, at first it was a lot of males, uh, just slimline fish um, with some females mixed in. And now we're getting some serious quality fat fish uh, fed, uh, well-fed, well-bred uh, females. Nice. So it's it's nice to see them, man. The water temp's kind of starting to get up, um, but the the Connecticut River right now is getting those fallback fish that have gone up for the spring run. Um, now they're dropping back into the Sound, and then the Thames River also has a ton of fish in them, 
and those fish are going up there chasing the bunker um, and the herring on that run. So those will be there for a little bit longer normally. Um, the temperatures are not not really all that high. So I'd imagine that they'll hang out for another two weeks or so. <laughs> Speak for yourself. It was 80 degree water out here last week. I can't believe that. It's so crazy in the, like in like the deviation between there and here. Oh, yeah. You know what? 300, 350 miles. And, uh, you know, we're down here fishing and swimming and literally swimming pool temperatures in the water and you guys are still up there hoping to break even yeah i mean what you're what what are your temperatures at uh when we finished that video from the river and put it out the water was 80 degrees wow yeah we're we we just touched 70 um this week i saw 70 in one of the rivers nice so, but they, they won't, those fish won't stick around for much longer. Uh, they'll actually start breaking out into the sound. Uh, some of the reefs and stuff like that are starting to produce a little bit. Um, there were some reports of some bigger fish in, on some of the reefs. So that won't be long until we start hitting that. And then we'll start hitting the big honey holes with some of the bigger fish, um, which they have been producing fish, but not the fish that we're looking for. Um, but they're definitely starting to show up and move through. I know the western part of the sound here, uh, they just started cracking that 40, 40 inch, 40 pound range. Um, those type of fish, the bigger quality cowfish, are starting to show up in the western sound. So it's it's just a matter of time before that they're here. Nice. Yeah, it's it's cool to have them around, man. I mean, we got into them pretty heavy, and we've been we've been doing a ton of top water fishing, and just it just really laying into them. So it's always it's always fun, and some of the bottom fishing is starting to pick up. I saw a lot of big fluke starting to be caught. Um, the scup are starting to show up. They just spawned out, so they're starting to show up in our local areas. Um, the black sea bass, uh, they just they're just finishing up their spawn here, uh, so they're starting to move in. So a lot, a lot of good things to come here in the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah, man, can't wait to see it. Hell, I can't wait to get up there and get on it. Yeah, I know. Has has your fish started to spawn out down there yet? Oh yeah. Are they they're already spawned out? Yeah, we're uh we're starting to see a lot of post spawn action on the smallies. So Which is crazy because I was actually talking to somebody here um from the northern part and uh he was saying that the temperature is just cracked and they're just starting to go on beds. Yeah. We pulled actually I, I think we had two or three of them. Granted the water was pretty muddy we had some good heavy rains before we went out but we pulled a couple off the bottom middle of the river i'm assuming they were mm-hmm. still on beds but the majority of what we were catching were running the rock ledges running the edges things like that so we didn't have a lot of bed action wow that's a good thing though i guess they, i mean they start feeding up once they get off bed and you know it's a different style of fishing i guess but it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely good yeah, from good days. For for me down here with the smallies, I actually prefer post spawn and into summer when it's just a, a good feed bite. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a protective bite. You tend to catch a heck of a lot more fish just because of how rugged the bottom of the river can be here when you get right. into those those uh, shallow sandstone rock ledges. You know, they'll just tuck down in there and anywhere across a river. I mean, you don't have to look for cover because they're everywhere whereas when they're on the beds you know you're you're looking for that nice smooth sandy bottoms things like that and it you only have certain sections you can work with so 
Wow. It's crazy. You just listening to you talk about it because years past when I was younger, I would do a ton of smallie fishing here. Um, we have some of the bigger, big rivers here that hold some of those, those smallies. And I was oh, just, yeah. when you were talking about it, man, just made me start daydreaming about it because <laughs> I miss those days of, of going out and smallie fishing. Um, you know, and we, we talk about it a lot, you know, on the ride home and stuff. We were talking about it the other day was like, you know, when it came to largemouth or smallmouth freshwater fishing, you'd be like, oh, this is so badass, man. This is never going to get old. You know, I'm going to do this forever. I don't know why anybody would would stop doing this, right? And then getting to doing pike fishing or musky fishing, and, and you're like, oh, I don't know how anybody could get think this is so old, man. This is just the coolest thing in the world. And then you start striper fishing or saltwater fishing, and you're like, holy shit, man, bluefish are the coolest fish in the world. I'm never going to stop doing this. And then progressively gets on. Now you're striper fishing, and we're catching 30-pound, 20-pound, 30-pound fish, and we're like, oh, those are small fish. Those are small fish. And it's like, where does it stop, man? Like, where does <laughs> video this yesterday. Oh, you're calling a 38 pound fish small? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? But you see the natural progression there. You went from, you know, a lot of small fish to lesser big fish to less big fish to just big fish, you know. And, and ultimately, that fight with the big fish is what you're looking for. So I can I can understand it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's it's one thing is when you when you you know we had this conversation yesterday. Also, it's like you we get to like like we're sitting on the porch um at my buddy don's house and we're, we're chit-chatting this that and the other thing and i was like hey man fucking the the fall but the dropbacks are are in the river man what do you think you want to go fishing he's like yeah i'll go fishing and it and, and it just i guess we take that that for granted the fact that you know we can go out and just go and catch those big fish they're in our backyard and there's people you know friends of mine from all over that are just like holy shit dude that's the coolest thing in the world man i gotta get up there and do that and 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 i guess we take that for granted um because it's in our backyard and we've put in the time and the effort and learned how to do it and so on and so forth that it's it's one of those things that you just kind of overlook Right. Um, those big fish, we shouldn't say that like that, like, oh, that's a small fish or whatever, and it's a 38-inch fish, um, <laughs> because there's people out there that never get the chance to catch that, and that's and, and that's a trophy-class fish, um, no matter who you are, I think, in my mind. Um, a 36-inch, 38, 40-inch, 40 45-inch, they're all trophy fish, um, no matter what they are, um, and, and we do it on the top water, so... I mean, when you get a fish of that class to blow up on a top water, it's it's something else, man. It's it really, honestly is. And and you're fishing them in ten to twelve feet of water. Um, they have no room to go, man. The blow ups are insane. Uh, it's 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 incredible what these what these animals do because when they come up and they grab that plug, man, they freak out and they just splash everywhere, dude. And they can't go down. They can't go nowhere. The tail's up in the air and they're just freaking out. It's it's something else, man. It's I think I I equate that to um, you know, shooting a big buck. Um, that adrenaline, dude, that like right. instant, like, you don't even know it's coming. Like most of the time, dude, when something blows up on it, I mean, you probably know what smallmouth is like when it blows up on it, dude, it's like in your face, your heart starts pumping. You're like, whoa, whoa. Cause you don't know it's going to come. And it's the same as when that deer walks in or, or whatever. Uh, and yeah, that it's just that surprise going. factor. It just yeah. popped. There it is. And I guess that's what we all do it for. 
you know? Yeah, I agree. I I don't even know where I was going with that, but. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's (laughs) it's that rush, that feeling, that instant spike of action going from nothing, you know, zero to a hundred miles an hour that quick, you know, that's what it is. And, and we all get, we get beside ourselves and be like, oh, that fish is not that big, you know, but it, fuck man, it's, it's cool shit, whatever. It doesn't matter how big it is, man. Whether you're pumpkin sea fishing or your trophy striped bass fishing or your tarpon fishing or grouper fishing or tuna or whatever the fucking case may be, man, it's, it's all, it all means something. And it's all, it's, you shouldn't take that shit for granted because it's definitely something that's definitely a gift. For sure. To be able to do that, but... Now we got the fishings here, dude, but we cannot think, we can't forget about one thing. And now's the time for preseason tactics, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say a lot fixing to start changing in the woods, a lot of preparation fixing to kick off and, uh, you know, definitely got to start stretching out and prepping, uh, shooting the bow. Yeah. For, well, we're going to do plenty of that this weekend. <laughs> That's um, no lie. No. <laughs> we're going to get in a little bit of trouble. Um, but the the that postseason um, scouting that you did now is what goes into play um, for this early season. Um, putting those cameras in the right area, so on and so forth. But we'll get through that in this podcast. Um, but like you're saying, stretching out for this weekend, I cannot wait. Yeah, is it's it going to be a good time. Is it Thursday? No, no, it's not quite Thursday. We're close, but it's it's not quite. What do we got? Another day or so? Yeah, about that. Jeez. <laughs> it, it's it's going to be a late night Thursday, ride through Thursday night and into Friday, and then uh, all hell is going to break loose Friday till Sunday. Yeah, I'm excited, man. We're going to make the 18 hour. Is it 18? No, it's probably 16. Yeah, I think track. it's 16 for y'all. Yeah. Y'all, <laughs> Southern boy. Sorry, blue belly. I'm uh, I'm pretty. <laughs> did you just call me a blue belly? I did. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> Careful, don't come down here and break my statues. <laughs> oh, jeez, Louise. They're doing it up here too. The peckerheads. Yeah, it's getting stupid. I I mean, is it really getting stupid? Yeah. Or is it the media? Well, a lot of it's the media, but I will say, um. Uh, it's it's legitimately getting stupid when they're trying to span this in and take down statues of George Washington and Winston Churchill and people that weren't even associated with any of that crap, you know, because of, oh, well, George Washington back then slavery was legal and he had slaves. Yeah, he also founded the country and won the Revolutionary War. We wouldn't have got through World War II without Winston Churchill running Europe's armies to assist. And yeah, okay, so he was a goofball in England when he was young, but I I don't quite, I can't make the connection. No, and it just, I just, I don't get it or nor understand any of it. And I, I, I mean, I live under a rock when it comes to all this, man. So my opinion really doesn't matter, but the, uh, just with everything going on, it's just it's it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. I, I really I, I'm with you. I try to stay out of it, but at this point, it's kind of like saying uh, any of these ice cream shops can no longer sell sprinkles because one shop forgot to have a certain type of sprinkle, 
and all the other sprinkles were discriminating. So get rid of them all. It's like, no, dude, that that's not how it works. No, it's, I don't understand it. And, and my thing is like, do they even have an agenda where they're trying to go with any of this? No, none whatsoever. Just destroy shit. Just destroy as much as they possibly and utterly can. It's not, it's a, I mean, like where, where does it end? I guess is my thing. And my understanding is like, where does it end? Like where, where, how far are we going? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Like, there's no goals here. There's no nothing. But when this turns into whatever it's going to turn into, are they going to regret it? I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no, they really won't. But at the same time, when I say they, I'm talking very broadly about anybody, any race, religion, background, heritage that's going to go out and intentionally go destroy inanimate objects because of a point of view instead of saying, hey, I want that gone. Let's do it the right way. Let's have a town vote or a city vote. Remove it. Go put it in a a museum somewhere for the people that do want to see it. Instead, they're going... No, let's just destroy. I'm going to take it upon myself to destroy it. Uh, and I'm going to feel like a tough guy because of it. You know, if that was another human being, I don't think they'd be quite so spunky to get out there and, and uh, get in the ring. And and my whole thing is like, but but why? But I don't understand. Like, my whole thing is I don't understand why they're doing that. Like, what are, what are you achieving by doing such a thing? Nothing. You're achieving absolutely nothing except creating more anger and hate. And it's, there's, there's no reason for it, man. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know. It just, it mind boggles me and I'm glad that I do live under a rock. I mean, for the same thing, because I don't have to get worked up about it. And I really honestly, I mean, as long, I don't know. I don't know. Stupid people, stupid world. Ignorance is showing its face. That's all it comes down to. Uh, is it deer season yet? Do these people <sighs> it like, needs to hurry. Do these people do? Do they? If deer season comes, do you think that they'll stop doing what they're doing? No, hell no. no. Because the people doing it are not deer hunting. Yeah, but the problem is, once I start deer hunting, then it'll be I don't have to worry about that shit. Exactly. Step uh, off into my own little world and enjoy. I'm glad that it's fishing season and I don't have to worry about it. And then it'll be deer season and I don't have to worry about it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Which which we all should worry about it and educate ourselves. But I mean, like, how? Where do you get the right information? I guess is the the thing. Well, there's a difference between educating yourself and taking a situation and doing what people are doing right now. Yeah. You know, if they were educated, they'd be going about it a different way. (sighs) Well. We need. We got enough negativity here. Let's get a Agreed. little positivity going on because this could go down a rabbit hole that we don't need to go on, and people really don't want to hear us talk about it. Yep, they're probably just as sick of it as I am. Yeah, I know it sucks. So, I well, guess uh, at this point, we probably ought to uh, pop on the radio and catch up with the news for the cruise. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. All right. Well, uh, let me crank it up. your cruise. Let's start off in Colorado, where as of July 1st, Colorado Parks and Wildlife will require anyone who enters a state wildlife area to possess a hunting or fishing license. 
Parks and Wildlife has implemented the new rule, so more segments of the community shoulder the costs of maintaining lands for wildlife. Uh, additionally, budget shortfalls in recent years, partially attributed to a uh, decreased amount of hunters, has resulted in these changes. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife is supported by user fees and not the general tax revenue. Um, the new rule applies to all state wildlife areas and state trust lands. And the most inexpensive way uh, to be able to access the lands is through a two-day fishing license at a cost of $38. Uh, and if you are um, found to be on these properties uh, without a proper hunting or fishing license, there will be a fee or a um, fine assessed of $139.50. So good for Colorado to try to get some more revenue from um, will be considered a, a non-active use of these public lands uh, that are that are there for the wildlife. So, off to Tennessee, where a proposed bill, uh, which removes restrictions on family members to hunt or fish on family properties, was proposed by the House on June 9th. It has been or was passed by the the House on June 9th. It has been previously passed by the Senate. Uh, and was passed by the House of a, by a vote of 91 to 0. Uh, the permission would expend to extend to spouses, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, uh, and spouses of children. The land uh, would need to be owned by one person or family, though if the land is owned by a first cousin related by blood, the law would apply to their cousins and families. Uh, although the bill has been passed by both chambers, uh, the agreement, um, the two need to hammer out the final uh, language on the, on the agreement. So more to come on that on the final language, but it seems like everything is pretty set. Uh, off to Louisiana, where the Wildlife and Fisheries Commission has passed a notice of intent that will allow persons 16 years and older to earn their hunter education certification completely online. Um, the proposed change is still making its way through the rulemaking process, but it has a scheduled implementation date of January 2021. The traditional classroom courses and the online course with the field day will still be available uh, to all students and will remain uh, the only option for those 10 to 15 years of age. And if you're thinking of trying your hand in over-the-counter deer or elk hunt in Idaho, you better act fast. Uh, the projected tag sellout dates are July 1st for elk and August 1st for deer. Um, these are projections and they could sell out sooner. Uh, the tag sellout dates have been getting increasingly earlier since 2017, where the sellout dates were October 31st for elk uh, and October 23rd and November 7th, respectively, for the deer tags. Um, 2020 non-resident quotas uh, are as follows, 12,815 non-resident elk tags, 14,000 non-resident regular and white deer, 
white-tailed deer tags uh, and 1,500 non-resident white-tailed deer tags. These are additional white-tailed tags that are available uh, when the regular tags are sold out. So that's it for today. And as always, uh, please send me your news if you have any. Um, Mike Salter on Facebook or Bearded Bowhunter underscore 21 on Instagram. Uh, I'd appreciate any news you'd want to share, any feedback you have on the segment. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. With that, thank you, Mike Salter, for the news for your cruise. And uh, why <laughs> don't we... Speak of education. <laughs> yeah, it's just straight education. Let me educate you. Um, why don't we thank our sponsors? That's pretty positive. Yeah, or yeah, partners. definitely throw out some of them partners. Give them a thank shout out. Partners, partners. First off, I want a huge thank you to Bow Fishing Magazine. If you guys haven't checked them out, please go and subscribe to bowfishingmagazine.com. Check them out. Uh, they got a great, um, what is it, monthly? Yeah. Is it monthly? A good a monthly, monthly spread. Magazine. So make sure and go check them out. It's actually a virtual uh, online magazine, so you can actually kind of click on the ads, check things out, go check people out. Uh, We may or may not have an ad in there on the second page. Um, So go and check them out. We thank you for supporting us, Bowfishing Magazine. Also, um, let's go with Wild Edge, Wild Edge Inc., wildedgeinc.com, the leader in mobile hunting. Get all your saddles, your perches, Steps, ropes, aiders, suaders, naders. Uh, check them out, wildedgeinc.com. Especially with everything going on in the preseason prep, you guys should be checking this stuff out, exercising with it, um, and getting to know it and use it. If you guys haven't checked them out, check them out on YouTube at Wild Edge Inc. Also, we'll thank Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Maki Mock. He's got some crazy shit going on in the shop, man. It's summertime. He's still working, slaving away. What is he? He's got, he's building knives right now and still a ton of, if you guys need your turkey pot calls, turkey box calls, there's still a ton up on the uh, website for the fall season. Also, your grunt calls. Start thinking about your grunt calls. Get them, use them, get to know them. Uh, play around with them and get that ready for that rut. Um, your evolution series. You can check them out nor'eastergamecalls.com. Also, Wicked and Twisted Bowstrings. Wicked and Twisted Bowstrings.com. Use promo code Outdoor Drive Ten. Um, it's it's capital O U T capital D O O R capital D I V E. 10 d-r-i-v-e i got you oh, fuck <laughs> but if you need it message us we'll give it to you um and that will save you 10 percent on the new bow strings she got a ton of bloodlines there's a ton of new strings in there now uh she's going crazy so make sure to get over there and check them out you can design them right there on wicked twisted bowstrings.com also broadside camo broadside camo.com also use promo code outdoor drive on that one save yourself some the new ascender series ascender series sweatshirt um the versa versa light uh you name it the photorealism camouflage some cool shit going on also for you guys with little ones um scott Shear also from broadside camo's got little shades uh, if you guys haven't checked that out little shades.com so it's uh shades for the little man and little woman uh out there so kind of cool little project that he's doing so go and check him out also um 
and um who else man i'm bad at this deathwish.com deathwishcoffee.com deathwish coffee fueled by death fueled by deathcast uh check them out the world's strongest coffee there's no other thing stronger than that get your cold brew for the summer mornings to get yourself going throughout the entire day also the hunter site huntersite.com go and check him out you guys heard about him what he's all about what happens uh and what hunter site's got to offer so go and check him out huntersite.com am i forgetting anybody off the top of my head no but i don't have my list in front of me so i can't yeah. confirm i just did that without a list wow i'm believe. impressed man that was pretty good it was horrible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to do it on its own. Um, also, if you guys haven't checked them out, another one just to add to it. I know it's a preseason here and everybody's going and they're going to do their thing. Um, not somebody that we're partnered with just yet or partnered with at all um, is um, Spy High um, Camera Mounts. If you guys haven't checked them out, check them out, Spy High Mounts. Um it's, they're, they're great to get them up off the ground to keep them away from predators and keeping them away from uh, scumbags. So you can just hang up your cameras a little bit higher in the sky um, and definitely helps, man. And that other view from up top, you would you would be it, – it's kind of crazy um, on, on kind of what you see from up there um, over like right in their face. And then a lot of times, I don't know if you guys listen to other podcasts or not, but um, there is a couple podcasts out there that talk about um, cameras and how they do scare big bucks and so on and so forth. So it's just another option. And if you guys don't want the spy high, you can also use a wild edge step, which is actually pretty badass too. So check that out. Hell yeah. Well, brother, what do you think? We, uh, you want to go start opening up this next new rabbit hole? Some of this early season work. This ought to be good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get Keith on the line. on the phone with Keith Chirac. How are you, Keith? Good, brother. How's Pretty everything, good. man? <laughs> uh, oh, just trying to get back to normal. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's for here in our little area, you know, our small town, we're, we're getting pretty much back to normal, I would say. I mean, uh, we haven't had too many cases with the COVID crap, but, but yeah, we're trying to make the best out of it. No crazy protests or anything down there, rioting, pillaging? Um, you know, we, we had a peaceful protest here um it was pretty good i've got you know my two nieces are in high school they they participated and i'm pretty proud of them for you know having a voice and and you know speaking their mind and and uh all that stuff so yeah other than that it was a pretty peaceful protest they had here and we're pretty happy to see that everybody come together as a community you know everybody has their own opinion on things and and uh 
you know, you got to follow your heart wherever it goes when it comes to that stuff. So, but, uh, for sure. But yeah, other than that, you know, it's, I think a lot of tensions are high with the COVID and, you know, the, everything that's going on, the, some of the injustices and stuff like that. And, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, some changes are around the corner for the good, I hope. So for sure. So how about your guys then? How's things going on up there with all that? Good, good. As long as you stay out of the New York City or any of the big cities, you'll be fine. <laughs> just, just stay out of the north. Stay down here in Virginia. You know, it's not so bad down here. Yeah, the north yeah, gets a little crazy. A little, yeah, it gets a little crazy. You get that many people on top of each other, man. So yeah, especially they've been locked up for such a long time, man. I get it. I understand it. You got to do what you got to do. Yep, absolutely. As long as they stay away from me and don't stop my deer season, I guess we'll be all right. <laughs> True story. Yeah, everybody thought the COVID was going to stop the deer season stuff. We, you know, I, I'm friends with a lot of uh, outfitters around here, and you know, they were getting a little nervous for a minute. But, but I, you know, I think uh, the more we progress, I think you know, with this COVID thing and seeing the line starting to flatten and people recovering, and you know, I think we'll, I think by fall everything will get back to normal again. So. Did they open up the license sales there in Ohio yet? Yeah, they did. They actually, um, during turkey season, G. Uh, Garrett, Modern Assassin, came up, and uh, we always have Steph's annual crawfish boil. She Her birthday's on Cinco de Mayo, so he always, we've kind of made it a tradition over the years. You know, he comes up, we hang out, turkey hunt, and have a couple of beverages and eat a bunch of crawfish. Um, but, yeah, he ended up coming out. Um, at that time in Ohio, they had shut down the non-resident hunting license, um, but they gave us a they gave you a deadline right in the beginning of right before season started, a couple weeks before season. They gave you a deadline. They gave us like 24 hour notice, like, hey, if you don't, if you know, people, the non-resident already have their you know license for the year, their tag for you know the 2020 spring turkey season, they can go ahead as long as you're quarantining yourself for 14 days before you come you can go ahead and hunt well um i know ryan davis called our you know our, our boy chatapillar out in california kind of gave him a forewarning <laughs> and i was i was i was texting everybody i knew man i was like dallas gee i was like man you guys got you got to do it by midnight tonight or you guys can't hunt so a lot of you know i talked to d and he was like man i don't know i think this stuff will clear up by then i was like man i just you know if you guys want to come up you and piper his daughter and i was like if you guys want to come but but they end up not doing it but chatterpillar ended up coming up and got his stuff he hunted with ryan um towards the end of the opening week and then uh it was just pretty much me and stuff and some family and friends that went end up going out but but yeah but g ended up coming out and hanging out for like i think three or four days we did the crawfish boil but everybody i just kind of wore a mask and you know put stuff on a plate and everybody got their own stuff and spread out in the backyard but um but yeah, I ended up uh, and it didn't kill one with G. I still had a second tag to burn when he came up, but called in a lot of Jakes when he was here. Um, had a lot of interaction with some hens, and you know, got some hens talking. But but again, and it was going into the the end of the last week, going into the second week and third week was pretty rough for us here. So, but yeah, yeah we, but you killed some trying. big birds though. You did like yeah. your cousin had that big bird and. Yeah, we actually see see Steph. I wanted to try to get her right out the rip. We were actually supposed to go to South Dakota. Um, we was going to hunt some public ground out there in South Dakota on, uh, near Custer. And uh, with everything going on, we decided not to go. 
but uh, I wanted to get Steph off, you know, get her on a good start. First day, we I think we called in a group of Jakes that came in and put on a show. And then uh, the second day, we worked uh, – we, this gobbler gobbled one time. It came strutting all the way in. Got really good footage of it, and she killed him. And then, uh, let's see, the third day, didn't see anything. The, the fourth day, she went with me. I killed that – I killed a bird um, about 9 o'clock in the morning. Late bird came in, real nice one. And uh, we, like I said, we heard one over on some public ground near another spot. I had a food plot, and uh, we shot over there. And she had her second tag, and ended up uh, like I think two calls, five minutes. That bird was beating the hell out of the decoy. I mean, he ran right by us, jumped across the creek, and Steph was looking at me, and you could hear him just beating the hell out of the decoy. And I look over, and and she's looking at me. I'm like, you know, he's at the decoy. So she swung shot grazed him he started just i mean like deeper creepers dude just flying straight up and she just she let him up and she ended up rolling him <laughs> so oh man it was and then from there it was pretty you know the the next couple of weeks was pretty was pretty pretty bad i mean we had a couple of days of snow i mean it was freezing out every morning just terrible like the worst weather you could think of for turkey hunting in ohio and uh and then, like I said, G came out, hung out. We hunted pretty hard. And then, um, you know, it's uh, going into the end of the third week, I had my cousin and his wife, and she was using a 10-gauge, a single-shot 10-gauge. And we worked, uh, and it was like 8 o'clock. These birds never made a sound. I mean, it just I just did periodic calling and just shut up and wait, shut up and wait. Just call, shut up and wait. And... Uh, and I just I just made a series of calls and I kind of leaned out at the blind, take a look, and I seen two Jakes just just strolling in. I was like, oh man! I said, get your gun up because I didn't care which you know it was. I think she's only killed one other bird before, and uh, so they came rolling in, and uh, I you know I was trying to help her get situated with the gun and everything, and my cousin was sitting on the other side of her, and I was telling him get his gun. I was like, if you guys can double up, double up, you know. So they brought the gun, you know, she was getting her gun up ready, and I just heard this spitting drum to my left. I was like, damn, dude, that wasn't the Jakes. That wasn't the Jakes. I leaned up. I was like, he's full strut. And she's just, she sees him at this point. And I was like, just, I'm trying to talk to her. Just stay calm. I was like, let him come in and work the decoy. And so he came in, just put on a picture-perfect show, just throttled the decoy, man. Um, and then she rolled him. The Jakes took off, and I cut real hard, and they stopped, and my cousin shot the other one. So they doubled up that morning. So that was, That's that was amazing. pretty cool. But oh, that, yeah. Dude, that bird, that bird she killed, I think the spurs were, one was an inch and seven-eighths, or no, one and nine-sixteenths, and uh inch and a half spur was the other one. But it was, Jeez. God, it was a bird. I think 11, 11 half-inch beard. Man, it was a monster bird. Wow, that's a so, bird of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, that's what I told her. She didn't realize it, but I'm like, that's like shooting a booner buck. I was like, in yep. the turkey world, that's, I mean, you just, that's like shooting a 170-inch buck. Absolutely. So that, that was pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, and then I ended up getting my getting my dad out. Um, he's not able to walk very far, you know, due to health issues and some things like that. I try to do what I can to get him out and finally it was uh he was battling some health issues through the season and then towards towards the you know middle of the the last week after everybody started you know we started just lighting them up that last week i got my brother on one and um 
a good friend of mine got got him on one and my dad was like man called me up on a wednesday night and he's like man you, you know he's like, you got a spot you can take me and i'm like hell yeah man i said let's uh you know let's slip slip up the road so we ended up going down to a buddy's place a real easy walk for him who got in and and it was crazy i filmed it with my phone actually the the hunt i didn't have my camera and uh i mean they were just ripped it was one of those mornings where they're just all around you goblin i mean it was like this is what it's supposed to be like you know what i mean that you know this kind of a hunt and they were just hammering all around us and um i had two of them work up the hill came right in came right up to the decoys i'm filming with my phone and my dad has his gun up and they started getting weird and they st like they the one turned around i was like i was like whispering at him take him and he's sitting there aiming and i'm going i'm kind of like looking like they're starting to walk over the bank i was like shoot him he puts the gun down looks at me he's like i was like why didn't you shoot and he looks at me and says i thought you told me to wait I was like, no, I was like, shoot the damn thing. Uh -oh. <laughs> so they walked in. He was like kind of bumming. I was like, just wait, you know, because we heard another, they're, they're just gobbling all around us. Ten minutes later, man, I worked a single right up the hill, came right in up to the decoy, and, and he ended up shooting it. So that's it awesome, was a real man. nice long beard. So that's a win. We got that one. But, uh, but yeah, it was, I think the last, the last day I took another buddy of mine out, um, we went to another county I hunt next to us, and I've got a big food plot, and I've got like a uh, one of those ghillie blinds up out there. I use I usually leave it up all year for you know for deer, and uh, it was like 9:30 in the morning, and this son of a bitch just gobbled one time, and and 20 minutes later he comes creeping right up. I think I got I post that video on uh, I put that video together and I threw it on Facebook or whatever. So yeah, it was that was a pretty yeah I saw that. But, uh, that's yeah, awesome, it was, man. Yeah, it, was, it was killer. I know me and you were going back and forth communicating, like, how'd you, you know, you was, you guys, I don't know what the hell you feed them up there, but man, you guys killed some birds in Connecticut. Old lady yeah, bird we, seed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah. they breed them up here. <laughs> There's a lot of birds up here. We get the chance. I mean, we can kill four per person. No, four, five, four. Yeah, four per person up here. So, like, it's it just it's insane man we just you know they're just here and i mean a lot of the times i mean i know it's kind of screwed up but we'll call them off people's bird feeders wherever out of their yards and we will drive by and we'll see them there next to public we just try and call them back into the public land and shoot them um it's just i don't know it just gets crazy up here sometimes <laughs> yeah i mean that's me and, me and g when he was over at the house i think uh, I think you post a couple, you know, we follow your storyline. You're like, mm -hmm. man, they're not gobbling today. This sucks. And I'm I'm looking at G going, dude, I need to come up here and hunt with these guys sometime. Because I was like, I was like, man, I was like, you know, it's, but we hunt like, when you don't hear them gobble, we, you know, I hunt, I, I wouldn't say like hunt them like deer, but man, it's just like, you just got to hunt like a, a known area where they cross through ridge tops and these little flats mm -hmm. on the ridges. Like a lot of times, a lot of guys like to move around. I my strategy is, man, just sit your ass down, wait. They, I mean, birds, they will walk away. I mean, birds will move and cruise, but, but yeah, the way you guys were like, man, I couldn't believe the amount of birds you guys pull in up there. That's crazy. 
Yeah, and a lot of it is, you know, it's it's completely opposite of what you do, man. It's a, it's just that running gun and moving from state land and and piece to piece to piece to piece to piece and just find that one bird that's doing what it's supposed to be doing and just get them going, you know? Like we'll hit 6, 7, 8 pieces in a day sometimes, smaller pieces and hike them, you know, and just wait for that bird to gobble and try and find them. Um and and get on that route. So we just hunt two different ways. Um but it's Yeah, that's but then I, you know, sometimes like in in part of the season, like when they're really hend up, I'll I'll kind of like if I know that they're there, like I'll try and roost them at night and then get in there around that eight nine o'clock and just sit there and just wait and wait and wait and and then you'll get them that way too, man. And I I kind of learned that from you, man, with the way that you do it. You know, just sit there and just wait for them to come in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like I would say, of the ten birds we put down, just in my area, you know, with the, with my, you know, with uh, friends and family here, um, I would say probably six of the ten that we put down came in quiet. Never made a gobble, nothing. It's It just becomes a visual for, you know, for me, it's just like, I'll try to set up in the most open area possible to where, you know, they hear, they hear a hen, but they're just going to come in. I mean, their heads are like little periscopes. They're going to, they're just going to pop up and look. If they don't see what they're looking for, boom, they're going to the next. You know, I mean, they're going to go to the next ridge. I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy here. But I mean, other places, you know, I've hunted. I've got some friends in California. We'll go out and hunt. And I mean, we hunt out of my buddy's driveway. We just set the, you know, set the decoys right on the edge of his damn driveway, sixty yards from his garage, and they're just. They're everywhere out there. I mean, it's crazy, but but you know, certain certain areas is just you know here it's a little with our wacky weather. I think it just I think it has some kind of an influence on our birds here. But but this year was a little little harder for us, I think, because uh, you know I've called in. Usually I don't walk across too many people, or too many people walk across me. But this year it was man, I bet you it was two three times a week I was running into people. A lot of you know people looking for morels. Um, and then I've had people trespass, you know, call, I called a couple younger guys in on me. I was hunting one morning and I could hear, they had a box call and I could hear that thing from God a mile away. And, uh, I ended up getting out of my blind, walking up behind a tree and I had some jakes that gobbled a couple times down over the hill from me. And I knew they heard it. And I started cutting like a hen, you know, just a pissed off hen. And then these guys ended up walking up on me and I just kind of whistled and pointed the other way. So... But um, but no, it's yeah, it's it gets a little rough around here. Sometimes, it's crazy when that happens. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's That's crazy because it's like, um, you know, my I've got that new, I bought that new, uh, what is it, the HDR Jake, the Avian, that new Jake Avian, the one that came out this oh, year, yep, interchange yep. head. That thing just glistens, man, in the sun. It looks so real, and and those when those guys are walking up, that you know, I was kind of down over this bank and he was kind of sitting up on the ridge and where they're coming from i was just kind of like a lot you know in the back of my mind i'm going man if they see that they could possibly shoot at that and i'm like man we're right in between each other so that's why i got out and kind of walked around and sat up against a tree and, and they end up walking up on me trespassing a little bit but no these guys these guys are just cruising but but no it's nuts how that um, happens that, that makes it very dangerous that's what makes the turkey wood so dangerous yeah, and it's. I think there was an incident. Where was it? Kentucky or Al? I think it might have been Alabama. There's a kid that ended up getting shot and killed. I think down there. 
um, a family was hunting down there, and I think he just got in the was in the wrong spot at the wrong time. But yeah, it's yeah the turkey woods is it could be dangerous, but yeah. But I'm a lot not... of times as hunters, we got to kind of recognize that stuff too when it's coming. Yeah, and you got to you got not only worry about the birds, but you got to worry about your surroundings and the people around you, man. Because, I mean, like in the first week of the season, we ended up calling in a hunter. We had there's a piece of the video I did it as an intro, and there's four jakes or five jakes that are in front of us, dude. They're completely fanned up, puffed up, gobbling, 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 gobbling. Well, that clip, the reason why we didn't shoot those birds were there was a guy. And we knew he was walking towards us. Um, we had heard him cutting on the box call, and we knew he was getting closer. And we, if we were to shoot, we would have been shooting in the direction of him, and we didn't know where he was. And a couple minutes after I had shot that video, he had shown up and scared the Jakes off, and he was standing there, and we saw him standing there. And if we were to shoot, we probably would have shot him. And we just had known that he was coming. And uh, we... Because when we had come in, we could hear him up on the hill, and he was cutting with the box. And then we had gone around him, and we had gone down quite a ways. And we had cut off some birds, and they had come in. They were coming in on us, and they were gobbling, 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 gobbling. And we would call, and then we would hear him call. And then he would get closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, don't shoot them birds. That guy's got to be pretty close. And he was. And thank God we didn't because we probably would have shot him. Yeah, It's just one of those things you just got to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So, how many birds thing. you guys end up? But why don't how many we, birds you oh. <laughs> Um, I don't even know, man. I shot. I shot my. I shot. No, I didn't shoot my four. I shot three. Oh, let's see. Three, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine. I think we're upwards of probably a dozen, and some change. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. There might have been more in there. I don't even know. We called in a ton of birds. Um, I we called in so many birds, man. But yeah, I think we shot close to a dozen birds here, um, between everybody that I, that I hunted with. Um, it was it was really good, and not not a lot of people. Effort. I mean, it was a grind, dude. It was a totally different type of grind than I've ever had to do here. Um, yeah. Normally a little bit easier, but I think with like the COVID and being so many people being in the woods and all that stuff, it definitely made things a little tougher. Yeah. Yep. Same here. So why don't we turn the key, man? Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, man, and what you do? All right. Well, I am Keith Rock. I'm with uh, Tattooed in the Wild, and I'm out of Coshocton, Ohio. So we're just a little bit east of uh, Columbus, Ohio. So down in this neck of the woods. So, um, and tattooed in the wild is a, uh, uh, is actually my partner, Dallas Brewer. Um, he's actually back in Virginia now, but basically we're just a bunch of tattooed dudes that like to get out and enjoy hunting and, uh, and, uh, get tattooed and share stories about tattoos, you know, about what, you know, the meaning behind them and, and try to capture stories behind the tattoos as well. So, something it's kind we've, of, uh, we've been doing for, for quite a while. So, And you guys film your hunts, too, also? Yeah, yeah. So all of our hunts are, you know, most of the, pretty much most of the hunts are filmed. A lot of times, not just about us. It's, uh, we like to, you know, find individuals that have, you know, really good stories and, you know, try to find somebody with, you know, that's wanting to get a specific tattoo and, and, uh, 
you know, the meaning behind it, you know, rather if it's like a whitetail hunt or turkey hunting or whatever it may be. And what we, we like to do is try to film them enjoy what they like to hunt and then invite them back to the tattoo studio as they're getting a tattoo. We, we film that as well. And then so they kind of, we relive the story through the tattoo. So we'll kind of show them, you know, tell their story as they're getting it tattooed and shoot back to, you know, the time that we, we got to hunt with them and enjoy what they're, you know, what they love to do. So it's such an amazing concept, man. I love it, dude. I think it's, it's incredible. <laughs> Tattoos and the outdoors. I mean, oh, yeah, there's a lot really, <laughs> there's not too many better things in the world. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's pretty fun. So we've, we've had some amazing hunts with individuals and, um, but I started trying to do some editing in the house. So Dallas has been working with, uh, with a gentleman back in Virginia and uh, we've got a ton of footage with individuals and, and really good stories behind them and hopefully kick it in the high horse and get out and get some of these people out there in Virginia, get them tattooed and start filming some of these, uh, some of these stories. So, but yeah, yeah it's, it's been, it's been pretty fun. So. And, and a lot of times, like some of the, some of the hunts are kind of crazy, you know, like you guys, you do a lot of the turkey hunts too, right? Like a lot, like filming a lot of your turkey hunts and for that too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do a lot of, uh, a lot of filming of the turkey hunts and deer hunts. Um, once in a while we'll get out, you know, we'll, we've done some hog hunts. We kind of just do, we kind of just mix it up a little bit, so. Just kind of go wherever you got to go, huh? <laughs> yeah. What you got to do. Yep. It's just, uh, I'm, my book's open, man. I mean, if some somebody wants to get out and elk hunt in Idaho or something, I'm going to try to do what I can to get out there. So I'm going. I don't have a specific schedule, so I'm just, <laughs> the way my shift my, the way my shift works, I only one week I only work two days, the other week I work five days, so I take a couple vacation days and I'm out, so... Wow, that's amazing. So, what what exactly do you do for a regular day job? Um, I work at a company called Wiley Companies, and um, uh, basically, I'm just a I'm a mechanic here, kind of like a jack of all trades, really. Um, I work under maintenance, but uh, um, but basically, we our bread and butter here is we distill fish oil. Um, and then here lately, we were making like a lot of hand sanitizer, and then we were starting to make a lot of uh, actually IV food for. Uh, um, it's actually it's got a uh, omega threes, fatty acids, and they use it in IVs for people that are you know they're unable to eat on their own or anything like that. Um, you know, a lot of people they were in ICU or anything like that with the COVID or anything like that. So. So, but we distill, make a, just a ton of different organic products, really, um, from food flavorings to LPG gases, you know, um, plant sterols to, you know, different fish oil products and stuff like that. So, so that's really what we, that's kind of my day job here. So that keeps me pretty busy here on this end, but, but, uh, the hunting thing is, that's what I live for. Yeah. And, and, and deer hunting, man, deer hunting is like your life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 all it's a 365 day a year thing um, for me here. So I just there's something about it. I mean, I've 
a lot of people ask me if I'm a more of a deer guy or a turkey guy. I'm like, well, I'm more, I push more to a deer guy. Um, and I know Dallas, you know, my partner with Tattooed in a while, he's, he's a turkey guy all day long, through and through. Um, that's kind of what started, you know, the whole Tattooed in a Wild thing was, was turkey hunting, me and him turkey hunting together and some crazy shit going down. But, um, so, but yeah, I've, yeah, I grew up deer hunting, um, when I was a young age. I mean, it was like, mostly started just gun hunting. I didn't really get into bow hunting until, you know, I was early teenager and, uh, you know, once I started archery, it was pretty much over from there. So, but yeah, that's that's kind of where my passion derived once I started archery hunting. Just something about it. I mean, it's completely different. Now, have but, you uh, always hunted in Ohio from the beginning? So, like, you started, yeah. like, that's where you're born and raised was Ohio? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, just around here. We I grew up on a small farm out in the middle of nowhere, just outside of our town, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was, that was kind of like our everyday thing. I mean, a couple of my best friends lived down, you know, neighbors down the road. We, we hunted, you know, deer hunted together starting out. But mostly it was, I mostly started out small game hunting. We used to run rabbit dogs, me and one of my best friends up the road from me. And, and uh, as young kids, I mean, that's that's all we did was rabbit hunt just about every single day. And then we really, like I said, we mainly just gun hunted. But, but you know, uh Bill Jordan, Tom Rand, and them guys, and they started, you know, some of those series up. That kind of lit a fire under me to, to try to get a bow in my hand and get out there. So, but yeah, it was. How old were you when you started with the bow? Um, I started shooting when I was. My dad had a recurve, a Fred Bear recurve. I'd, I'd play around with, and um, when I was like twelve, and then at thirteen, I got my first bow and 14 i killed my first buck so um but yeah i killed my first buck with that and i think it was uh oh god i think i bought that thing from kmart <laughs> it was uh it was actually a bear bow i think a 45 pounder maybe wow just had the two little wheels on it for cans so the old yeah, speed bows oh my god drawing that thing back with something else i used to go and just shoot we had we did we had round bales and my dad would leave a round bale out for me and i would just set different targets up and stuff on it just paper paint paint can lids just whatever and just and just shoot and shoot and shoot at that you know all different distances and and uh but yeah yeah it was that was a trip man that's what that's what got my fire lit man was was archery so but then I, you know, I guess I really didn't start, you know, it was, you know, back then we just, if, you know, you seen a, a little six pointer, you shot it, you know, you didn't, you know, now, now it's completely different. Now we're, you know, I'm at the point where we like to manage our deer. I've got quite a few farms I manage and hunt and, um, you know, we, you know, I'll do a while invite people out, you know, different individuals out, you know and and film them hunting and kind of get their uh their story of their passion for hunting and stuff so that way we can set it up with a tattoo in the studio late you know eventually down the road and then tie the two together but but yeah i mean it's several farms and and um man it's just it's yeah it's just my passion i mean we start out with mineral sites you know right after our season goes all the way until you know first week of february and usually by you know, beginning mid-March, we're out shed hunting, freshen up the mineral sites, you know, trying to track down and 
figure out new trails and paths and tactics on different properties and and move wiggle some sets around and and uh but yeah it's yeah it's completely different now back then we used to hunt we really didn't care what size the deer was and i guess once i moved out of towards out of high school and then we started uh you know trying to shoot bigger more mature bucks so but yep yeah, it's it takes a hold of you it takes it it takes over what was kind of like that switch for you though man like where where you went from just you know being that meat hunter to now going and wanting to shoot just mature big bucks um i guess i mean with ohio we're allowed you know one deer tag or one buck tag i mean so i just yeah i tell you it was one particular and this one still haunts me to today um i was let's see i think i was my junior year in high school and I remember we had the one, the one corner of the farm used to hunt just across this creek. And I, I'd actually just bought, I just bought an Azal Steel, had a climber, man. I couldn't even tell you the name brand. I knew that thing was like 60 pounds. And I remember going up across the creek one evening after school. And I was kind of walking up the hill and there's this big down tree. And I'd just seen this, I mean, one of the biggest bucks I'd ever seen in the wild. He was bedded down with a doe. And he, I seen him stood up. I seen him stand up and just kind of jog over the hill. And I was like, "Oh my God, look at this thing! I'm going to go after him." So I remember the next morning was a Saturday morning. I got up, got up real early, walked top that hill. And there's a real nice poplar tree close to where I'd actually seen that buck. I got up in that poplar tree and about uh, I don't know, it was probably about 8:30 in the morning. I had this little fawn walk up, and she was just nibbling on some of the green leaves that were still left on some of the briar bushes and I just heard this thing grunting down over the hill and he just walked right up to me and I was just like oh my god I mean I just I'd never felt those kind of emotions before <laughs> and he stood broadside at me winds at my face just slowly just a little breeze in my face I was like this thing has no no idea I was even there and it was like I was just like I knew in my bones I was like man this thing's gonna die I'm gonna shoot like the biggest buck of my life right here I drew back and I put it, I put the, just, you know, put the pin. I always start with the pin down on the, you know, backside of the leg, and I just kind of let it up real slow. Got about a third of the way up, released, and that arrow shot about an inch below him. The son of a bitch took took off, run up the hill, stopped at about 50, 60 yards, turned broadside, looked at me, and turned around, and walked back up the hill. I was just like, from that point on, I think was like, this is all I want to do is go after deer like this. <laughs> so that was, you know, sort of a turning point. You so, bet. But. Oh man, it's just there's something about you get a, a big mature buck walking out in front, you know, just coming right in, and you, you know, in the back of your mind you're thinking, this is it, this is my opportunity. I mean, it's just there's just there's nothing like it. I mean, it's it's a disease, it really is. So, uh, but man, it's yeah, there's just something about it that uh, that you you just can't explain. What do so you I think that, that, that be, how how big? Oop. How big you think that he was? Oh, uh, he was a big symmetrical ten, uh, heavy mass. I would say he was probably, I would say probably closer one seventies, probably. Jeez, holy shit! I understand why you say it, it haunted I mean, you, dude. I tell, I mean, I tell everybody. Just everybody has that one deer, or you know, more than one, plural. But it's, uh, but that's the one that that. Re- I mean, I've got several other opportunities that that i screwed up on but you know there's a there's always that one and that that one haunts me 
that one <laughs> that one gets me i bet but but yeah there's yeah we've got i, I can't mean, can even we, imagine yeah it's yeah this farm is my my brother-in-law i think a few years a few years later he killed a mid 160s out of out of one of my stands out there my wife's brother so yeah he's we've killed some good ones out on our old farm i wish we still had that farm but 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 yeah there's uh, i picked up another farm this year it's got some good potential on it i think but but yeah it's but yeah it's just yeah that's where it started uh, i think a lot of that started like okay what can i do to better my odds next year and that's all that drives me it's like what you know after the end of the year we kind of look back and we're like where did we screw up where did we go wrong what can we do to correct it and um that's where it's just like that's the thing that's nice about social media I, you know there's there's you know just the average person that hunts you kind of pick some tricks and you know trades up from different people and and kind of put them into play and and uh just kind of go with it and pick up different tactics but but yeah man it's yeah it's, it's just like an all-year thing for us so it's you know that that pretty much drives me and i know you know you know with dave you know ryan so, davis so, good oh no, no no go ahead keep going with you I was, I was just gonna say that you know with with ryan davis with his farm that's kind of like our our bread and butter of farms that we manage and um yeah, we've I've killed some good deer out of there, but that that farm is really we take you know we take a lot of pride in that farm you know food plots mineral sites and and trying to figure out you know what's you know what the plan is for you know this coming up year and and uh, yeah me and Ryan was just talking about that today some different tactics we're gonna we're gonna do some things different back here this year. So I guess you were saying that you got a new farm, right? Yes. So when when you get a new farm, I guess, like, what are you doing now to prep for the season? Like, where do you start? Like, how do you go into this, like, for, like, the newer hunter or somebody that gets a new property? Like, I guess a lot of people wouldn't know where to start. So, like, what are, what are you going to do to make your season a successful season with this new farm? Um, I'd say first it was a farm I picked up back in, like, pretty much winter. It was right at towards the end of deer season. Um the first thing I did was go out and shed, you know, if you pick up a property, you know, at the end of deer season, um, and you know, in that kind of area and you're new at it, I would say walk the, you know, at the end of winter, walk, the, you know, towards spring, walk the property, do some shed hunting. Um, you know, depending on the terrain, I, me personally, I like to walk creek bottoms. I want to see where these heavy trails are cutting down through. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shed hunt the areas, the thickets, um, walk the creek lines and find where these big heavy crossings are. That's what I mean. That's that's my biggest key is is just walking those creek bottoms and finding, like I said, find those big heavy traffic areas. Um, trying to find those bedding areas, pinch points, and different things like that. And then, like this year, we turkey hunted the property. Unfortunately, um, I only got to turkey hunted a couple times. Um, I took a couple youth kids out there to turkey hunt. And we end up kicking birds off the roost. Uh, and, um, but, yeah, it's, and then plus the mineral sites. I know, like, Ohio, like, with us, you can feed and you can put mineral sites in here. It's completely legal to do that in Ohio. I know there's some states you can't do that, but I'm a big believer in the mineral sites. Um, and like I said, I get those in 
right after deer, you know, about a month after deer season's over. And usually here in a couple weeks, I'll end up putting, you know, put some cameras up over those mineral sites. And then you'll, you'll know what you got coming in by, by the end of July, you know, you, you kind of got a good inventory of that area, what you got, you know, coming in. But that's what I would suggest to people coming into it. That's new in the hunting is, is get in there, walk the property, look for deer sign. And then, uh, and a lot of it just go with your gut, you know, figure out where, you know, where you want to put some sets and you got to figure out, you know, if you're in an area where you got thermals and, you know, the wind situation, I always try to set in an area. I always try to set a couple sets for north wind or south wind, you know, different scenarios. Most of the time we have a west wind. So, I mean, that's, that's key is, is trying to stay, keep your scent out of there as much as possible and then, you know, hunt specific days. But, but that's the biggest thing is get in there, shed hunt it. You know, if you got creek bottom, walk creek bottoms. Look at look around your bedding areas. Look for those heavy those heavy trails, and where you know you get a lot of trails funneling together. And then get some cameras on them. And then, like I said, by usually by late, you know, late July, going into August, you'll know what you got in your area. And then just hunt it. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I was the thing I would say you can't kill them from the couch. You can't. So. The more you're, you know, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. Gotcha. So, uh, I got a question for you. Once you get everything, you know, you found your trails, you found your beddings, you hung your sets. A lot of people have kind of differentiating ideas on, uh, when to quit going into the woods. So a lot of people, they absolutely will not touch foot in the property, say mid August on other people say, you know, two weeks before opening day you know do you guys have something you kind of follow yeah i mean and yeah i mean it's one of the biggest factors i think um is a lot of it is about timing it's um uh, i really like to get in you might have you might have a really good spot for example you might have a really good spot to get into it might be a killer spot but the problem is getting to that spot without screwing you know busting everything up out of there so that's right i guess that's one of the you know one of the key things there but um i've never really if i've had to do something i mean i've gone in and i mean i've got on film i mean me and ryan ryan filmed me killing a giant six-pointer big mature old six-pointer we sat and hunted a set for all the way i mean this is like man this was like the end of october so it was like getting towards our you know the pre-ruts kicking in pretty good and we noticed a ton of deer we'd we'd actually just rattled some younger bucks in but man there's two days we hunted there was tons of bucks we noticed in this one area so we get down at midday kind of sneak back up in there we seen scrapes and all kinds of activity we'd move that stand that day and the two days later we hunted that stand i rattled this buck in from about 150 yards away it's all on film and and i mean this this thing was pissed he walked all the way up 20 15 20 yards made a big scrape and i put an arrow in him i mean so man it's just i really don't have a rule when it comes to if you got to get in there and move a stand get in there and move a stand or put a stand up so, but gotcha. I mean, I wouldn't go in there at like every single, you know, every other day or every three or four days and go in there and, and, and do that. Like when I check my cameras, 
I went to, you know, I went to some cell cams this year. That really played a big role into my success this year. But usually I, you know, I give it about 10 to 14 days when I check cameras. You know, I walk into an area and I try to go near midday. But, yeah, I mean, everybody has, I think a lot of it has your area and how, you know, if you get a lot of hunters in an area, it's good to keep, you know, low traffic into an area. But, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid to make a move or move a stand or anything like that if I need to, you know, make that call. But, but I know there's, there are different opinions on that, but, but usually, you know, there's several farms that I've hunted that I, you know, I've got specific sets in there. We leave them alone. We don't mess with them. Usually it's rare that we, you know, we'll run in and make a move or two, but, you know, but most of the time it's during the summer, but usually, um, usually I don't do too much right around like, you know, going into October, mid October. I usually, I don't like to do anything in regards of, especially if we got a good buck in an area, I won't try to, you know, push doing too much as of moving and, and, you know, cutting, cutting trees and shooting lanes and stuff like that, you know, in front of a tree stand. So usually I would say if I have a cutoff date, I would say it'd be towards the end of September. I'm done. I'm not going to try to do anything to, Gotcha. No, it makes perfect sense. And I do a lot of the similar out here. Uh, I try to get as much done, get my lanes done, figure out which trees I'm going to use it for what winds, where my avenues of approach are up to that September point. And I'll try to keep any influence I have from that point till opening day minimal. And then uh, that I'm going to say my exclusion to that rule personally is if we have a really good uh, either a light drizzle or heavy rain coming, I'll try to time my movement so I'm in there right at the front of that. So yeah. anything I do is more or less erased when that rain comes through. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's always a good call for sure. It just kind of washes everything up and gets rid of all the scent, anything that's left behind. Tracking. I I guess one of my one of the questions too because you you're able to to use mineral sites and bait and so on and so forth like how do you use that to your advantage I know like some people have mixed reviews about it but you obviously being able to do it and hunting these food plots and stuff like do you find that these big bucks are hitting that like do you hunt that during the rut also or how do you play um, that say, to your advantage? We have well. See, we'll do. I do a lot of clover plots. I do some like turnips in the fall and some of the plots. But there's some areas I'll just kind of enhance it with corn. Um, usually, we can throw. I've actually got a, a specific mix I get made that that I'll go into some areas and just try to keep the does in my area. But for the most part, um, usually we don't kill too many bucks over you know just walking in the feed. I mean those deer are pretty weary about coming in, you know, you know, to certain feeding areas or whatever. But for the most time, you know, growing up, we could, you know, you could put corn out or whatnot, but most of the time, those, those mature bucks, they wouldn't come near it. They're going to just skirt it when they're, when they're rutting, they're looking for does. So they're going to go to a known, you know, a known feeding area and just kind of just skirt the outside edges of it. And that's, that's what I've noticed around my area. 
So then you're setting your like how far are you setting your tree stand off of those those feeding areas? Because obviously you're not going to be in those feeding areas. Yeah, usually between fifty to hundred yards. Usually. Okay. So you're almost looking at it like uh, you're hitting the staging areas more than the actual feeding area. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, because it's rare. I mean, for us, for you know, once that rut starts to wind down, those bucks are worn out. They're hungry. They're tired. That's when they're going to start slipping up. Usually, it's like late November for us. I mean, it's like the last week of November. And if you got, if you're feeding or baiting um, or hunting, a, you know, a food source, that's. I mean, you get a good win. That deer is going to slip up. He's going to come in. You know, that last 30 minutes of daylight, he's going to walk in and screw up. Because he's, I mean, he's worn out, dog tired from the rut. He's and he's hungry. Gotcha. So there's during the rut though, like so during the rut, are you hunting like the downwind side of that area or? Yeah, yeah. You're going to basically you're trying to once you figure out, you know, if you got if you can figure out if you got a specific buck you're hunting or bucks. And you know, you know a certain trail that they're coming in on, or a certain edge of woods that they're they're skirting. You want to try to put, get yourself on the other side of that area that they're coming in. So you want to be, so basically, if you're feeding or hunting a food plot, you want to you want to keep your you want to keep the deer between the food and you, and then the wind coming at your, you know what I mean, the wind coming from that area. Right, right, right at you. So you're hunting the downwind side of it, and then that trail exactly. that they're that you're expecting them to come on is in between the food source and you. Absolutely. You don't want to be in between the food source. Exactly. I know it, yeah, because a lot of times these deer, especially late season, I mean these deer are pretty weary, but they'll, I mean they'll circle an area. I mean they'll go way, way far downwind of that area before they circle and come in. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to hear. I just I was playing kind of the devil's advocate on it, just to, so everybody could kind of understand how to approach the the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's I mean, these deer. I mean, they. I mean, they're not dumb. I mean, but but yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. There's one specific area. I think Steph last year, early season. Our season started at the end of September. I think it was the second day. She ended up getting that buck we called Wartso. And uh, I had like a clover plot, and I would throw a little bit of that mixed corn I got. It's got you know a bit of soybeans, corn, and it's almost like a big time mix sort of. And um, and he ended up, I mean, he circled way around, and we're hunting this fence row off this cattle field, and my food plots, and you know, tucked in this little valley. It's about I don't know three quarters of an acre size food plot, and he circled, you know, came circling right around, and then came in broadside. And we've got like a couple apple trees we left in there. And um, like I said, he came in broadside at 20 yards. She put an arrow in him. And it's just, and like I said, it's just an area. Once you hunt an area long enough, you know where the deer are coming and going. And you can kind of predict, you know, if you're going to feed or hunt a food plot or whatever. You can, you know where you need to set up and, you know, and figure out what wind you need to hunt. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just and just it's just getting in there and learning it and understanding it. Also, it's like you. How I many how many times have you made a mistake before you've actually connected or made made the right decision? Oh, tons. I mean, tons. It's just it's. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about whitetail hunting is you're always learning. You're always you know it's it's like a chess match. So you're always trying to figure these things out. 
but you know eventually you win <laughs> so some way somehow but, you'll win but you got to make the mistakes and i guess we all have the conversation you know oh do this do this do that to make this success you have to do this this and this but in all reality we've made those mistakes a million and one times to make this all happen like yeah we can make it sound like you know we're heroes and all the glory but really honestly we've made a million mistakes and we just got lucky and it happened yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and I mean it's it's still, I mean, you never know. I mean, you, you could have the perfect win, the perfect setup. You walked in. You know you didn't bump any deer. It's like tonight's the night. That deer, I mean, that deer could travel three-quarters of a mile away to get to your spot. I mean, he could cross the road. A car could have drove by, beeped the horn at it, and it turned around and ran back where it came from. I mean, there's so many scenarios that happen that the reason why that deer never came in or, you know what I mean? So it's it's a big guessing game at some point, but you just have to put yourself in a best position as much as possible. Yeah. See, and I think that's probably the best way to look at conversations when it comes to deer hunting is we all love the, you know, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm planning. It should all work out. But at the end of the day, the best conversations always come from, well, I did this and this went wrong and this is how we adjusted. And this is what we did to, finish it out a day or two later you know that's where you learn the most yeah absolutely yeah it's um but yeah it's yeah it's uh, and it's i love i mean i love the challenge it's i mean it's what drives me but but yeah it's um but yeah it's 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 awesome to hear from you know different people that hunt different areas um you know for us you know you know like our terrain it's you know, we got medium-sized hills. We don't have huge hills, but um, we got some good-sized gullies and ravines. And you know, I've hunted eastern Kentucky down there in mountains, dude. And and um, I mean, the deer act different. They do different things than what they do here. And um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's just fun to try to figure them out. And yeah, just the overall challenge. Absolutely. So I guess I I guess I got one question. And what what drives you outdoors i know we've had you we've said a couple of different things but what like really drives you to get out there and hunt and fish and be in the outdoors oh man i'm telling you it's a lot of people don't know um i was 15 i was diagnosed with uh, leukemia um late third stage and i was homeschooled quite a bit you grew up on it you know i lived on a small farm and it was just you know things weren't going the way that they should have been going and and i would i would say being outdoors you know hunting and fishing that kept you know that i can i can come out and say that that helped save my life right there just being out there and doing that stuff and i i guess that's where the fire really really grew for me to get out and do it i knew you know for me personally i know what the outdoors does did for me so my whole thing is like when I see other people in a similar scenario, it's just like I want to put my arm around them. Like, okay, hey, I'll give them, you know, um, you know, I got a friend this year um, that was battling, and um, I ended up getting him out as much as I could this year. But but that's what really drives me is is from that point on, I guess that that would have been the biggest factor. Um, 
it's just it's it's my you know it's it's my home away from home really it's it's where it's really you know i really want to be um it's kind of hard to hard to explain but it's uh but you know it's Oh, I completely get it. I yeah. fully understand yeah. it. And, and especially with you, you, like with with your friend, um, you you had him out because you know, and you could see the passion in your eyes, like when 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 you were up here and we had talked about it and that you were gonna do that and so on and so forth. Like, it yeah. it was so important for you that you brought him out there and he could experience because it was like your medicine when you were younger. Absolutely, yeah, you nailed it right on the head. I mean, it's um. But I mean, that's that's really my kick. Is I, I like to try to enjoy as much of it as I can because at some at some point it's not going to be here. You're not going to be able to do it. So for me, it's just like I want to I want to try to get out there and do as much as I can, as often as I can, and with people that, that truly appreciate what the outdoors is you know it's supposed to be about. So you bet. But no, I I greatly appreciate you sharing that. It. it I mean, there's not any other better way to put it. Uh, the healing components of the outdoors in themselves for so many different aspects, uh, it just, it almost goes unsaid. You know, I've watched the the outdoors literally save people's lives, just that ability to go out and reconnect with nature the same way, like you said it did with you. And like we're hoping it does with your friend, is it's just going to be that piece that just puts you over and helps you get over and accomplish whatever it is you're fighting. So really can't thank you enough for putting it out there. And uh, for anyone out there struggling, again, the outdoors, that's the place to go. You know, you want to get your head right, get your mind right, and uh, just get back to the world. Get away from everyone. Go outdoors. Keith, we want to thank you for jumping on, man. We've taken up enough of your time, and uh, we can't thank you enough. The information's been great, and we really look forward to doing a lot more with you. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. For sure. And I know uh, here before too long, I'm going to drag Trev down here, and we're going to let Dallas do a little bit of his <laughs> dirty work. It, uh, got, oh, yeah. it got postponed during turkey season. Yeah. We had it set up, but with covid we had to set that back but we're going to make that happen and uh i need a nice cover up <laughs> yeah but yep, we'll, yep, we'll do it we'll, we'll definitely get on that that's a a priority you have to get done and uh, it'll give us a real good taste into what you guys have going on with uh tattooed in the wild so before we let you go uh real quick once again can you tell everybody uh where to find you Yep, you can um, you can find me at uh, on Instagram, just uh, Keish Rock at Keish Rock and Tattooed and Wild, and then um, if you want to check out uh, um, Tattooed and Wild in general, um, look up uh, at Tattooed and Wild Studios, and you can find us at Tattooed and Wild on Facebook as well. Awesome! I highly suggest everybody goes out there and checks them out because flat out the work's badass. There's, there's no other way to put it, you know, and throwing a story behind it makes it that much better. So we want to thank you guys for jumping on, for catching this episode, for putting up with our shenanigans and listening to some of Keith's knowledge. 
go put it to use, get some of this early season stuff done. And ultimately, we want to thank you guys for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.